All right, have a seat. Again, welcome. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be at the beginning of Luke chapter 4. We're actually going to spend three weeks on the temptation passage, and we're just going to look at the very beginning of it uh, this morning. But uh, I want to start with reading you a quote from uh, Billy Graham. He wrote a book about the Holy Spirit, and he wrote this. He says, man has two great spiritual needs. One is for forgiveness. The other is for goodness. Consciously or unconsciously, his inner being longs for both. There are times when man actually cries for them, even though in his restlessness, confusion, loneliness, fear, and pressures, he may not know what he is crying for. God heard that first cry for help, that cry for forgiveness, and answered it at Calvary. God sent his only son into the world to die for our sins so that we might be forgiven. That is a gift for us, God's gift of salvation. This gift is a permanent legacy for everyone who truly admits he has fallen short and sinned. It is for everyone who reaches out and accepts God's gift by receiving Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Paul calls it God's indescribable gift. And, and, and so know this, if you, if you really want to know God and have a relationship with Him and, and experience the power of His Holy Spirit, it starts by repenting of your sins and trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. So, to continue with the quote, he says, God also heard our second cry, that cry for goodness, and answered at Pentecost when He sent His Spirit. God does not want us to come to Christ by faith and then lead a life of defeat, discouragement, and dissension. Rather, he wants to fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. To the great gift of forgiveness, God also adds the great gift of the Holy Spirit. He is the source of power who meets our need to escape from the miserable weakness that grips us. If we are to live a life of sanity in our modern world, if we wish to to be men and women who can live victoriously, we need this two-sided gift God has offered us. First, the work of the Son of God for us. Second, the work of the Spirit of God in us. In this way, God has answered mankind's two great cries, the cry for forgiveness and the cry for goodness. If you believe in Jesus Christ, a power is available to you that can change your life even in such intimate areas as your marriage, your family relationships, and every other relationship. And you know, I believe the most unused power in the world is the power of the Holy Spirit. The the Bible tells us that we can quench the Spirit, we can grieve the Spirit, And how much by our sin and our disobedience and our apathy and our lack of seeking God, do we do that as believers? And how much do we miss out on the fullness, the abundance of life that Jesus has for us by the fact that we so often are living in our own strength, in our own ability, instead of living in the power of of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about the things in your life that you need to overcome or, or things that you, 
struggle with or difficulties or challenges. Or think about relationships. But I mean, just think about, you know, naturally, I'm selfish, I'm inward focused, I'm angry, and I'm fearful. And I could go on with the list, but I don't want you to think too badly of me this morning. But I mean, just naturally, that, that's who I am. If I'm going to overcome those kind of things, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. If I'm going to be the right kind of husband, I need the Holy Spirit. If I'm going to be the right kind of father, I need the Holy Spirit. I mean, let's look at Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, a passage about the Holy Spirit. And we're working our way into this uh, you know, passage about the temptation of Jesus. But in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, just let me explain a couple of things there. The flesh, you know, we, we think of the flesh as like, you know, skin, uh, that kind of thing. And it is that. But it, biblically, sometimes it's used uh, as a metaphor of our natural uh, inner person. Uh, you know, our, our flesh, just our old sinful person. And, and the word lust means desire. Really, it's the wrong kind uh, of desire. But it's saying basically that if you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit, you, you, we're, we're, st we're not glorified yet. We're not perfected yet. We're not in heaven. We still have this old sin nature as well. And, and the two are doing battle with one another. You ever feel like there's a war going on inside of you? Well, that's a good thing in one way because if you don't have that war, you're not even saved. I mean, if it's just all the old nature and just all sin, you're, you're not even saved. But if there's a battle, it's like, you know, I know I ought to do this, but sometimes I don't do it. Or, you know, it's just like, I know I ought to do this, but I want to do that. And, you know, it could be, you know, I want to be pure, but I want to look at this. I want to be healthy, but I want to eat this. I want to be nice, but this person ticks me off. You know, all these, there's this battle that's going on inside of us. But he says here, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, so it's not legalism either. It's not outward religious stuff that are going to help us to live the right kind of life. Then he says, verse 19, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, and work is something we do, right? Like theoretically, when you go to work, you're working, you're doing stuff. You might be scrolling the internet, but theoretically you're working at your job. It's something we do. So he says, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which means... You may be like, well, that's not really my sin. I'm okay. No, and the like means just fill in the blank. Whatever your sin is, whatever your junk is. So he says, when, when, when our flesh is in control instead of the Holy Spirit, this is what comes out of us. Now, I should have counted. I don't know exactly how many works and names there. Maybe somebody count for me. Tell me after the service. I think there's around a couple of dozen or so there. But let's say take half of that list. Would you like to be married to that person? Laughter 
I should probably be in the spirit and not the flesh right now and just watch what I say. But uh, Glenn, you must be setting the bar there pretty low, buddy. I mean, <laughs> uh, so, but then verse 22, <laughs> there, there's a contrast in verse 22. I mean, first of all, we see the contrast, and it starts with the word but, but there's another contrast. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there's a difference in works and fruit. Works is something we do. Fruit is something that's produced by a root. So when it says the fruit of the Spirit is these things, what it's saying is what we do, what comes out of us naturally these sinful, junky kind of things that were in the previous list. But he's saying when the, the, the Spirit is in control of us, this is the f- fruit that he produces. And, and the first list is what's us naturally. The second list is what comes from the Holy Spirit supernaturally. So he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So... Would you like to be married to that person? <laughs> you sure, Karen? <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, I, I mean, like, so if, if two people, let's think about it for a second. If two people's lives are characterized by that first list and they're married, what's their life going to look like? Chaos, miserable. Yeah, sadness, maybe divorce, I mean, murder, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not going to go well, right? But, but I mean, what if two people are married and their lives are characterized by that second list? I mean, if, if each person is that way, is it, is it going to be hard to not have a good marriage? I mean, I think it'd be impossible, honestly. I mean, it's still two people trying to put their lives together, and, you know, so there's going to be some friction. But, I mean, really, any relationship is a sum of its parts. And a relationship can't rise above who the people are. So we can have the best intentions, but if we're not the right kind of people, we're not going to have the right kind of relationships. If we are the right kind of people, we're probably going to have the right kind of relationships. What if you got a, a relationship, a marriage, whatever, where... The first list characterizes one person, and the second list characterizes another person. It's going to be miserable for the second person. The second person is probably going to drive the first person crazy. You can't build a life, you can't build a home on two different blueprints. And so, really, this becomes a very practical thing. I mean, you know, as parents, do we want... Uh, you know, our parenting to be more flowing out of the flesh and the, f- the results of that or more out of the spirit and the fruit of that. Which one is going to affect our kids in a better way? And, and you can play that out through every area uh, of, of life. To me, l- learning how to live filled with the spirit, under the control of the spirit, is one of the most life-changing things that you can ever experience. Um, I learned it from, from Tim LaHaye from a book that I just stumbled across a, a long time ago. 
Uh, some of you know Tim LaHaye from the Left Behind series. This is way before that. It was actually about temperament. But he, he talked about you know, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, I mean, it, it changed my life. I mean, you know, my shortcomings are on me. Anything that's good about me uh, as a person, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, whatever, is coming from the work of the Holy Spirit. So, you may be like, you know, I thought we were doing this series about Jesus, the servant king. Uh, so why are we talking about the, the Holy Spirit today? Well, we're talking about the Holy Spirit because 16 times, if I've counted correctly, in, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke talks about the Holy Spirit. We've already seen it multiple times. We've already seen, uh, you know, the, 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 talking about John the Baptist, both of his parents, Simeon, uh, being filled with the Spirit or something along uh, those lines, the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. E even more than that, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit, by my count, is mentioned 54 uh, times. And remember, Luke and Acts is a two-volume kind of thing. And so important in the Gospel of Luke, even more important in the lives of the early church. You know, when we call, you know, and the titles of the books aren't inspired. Usually it's the author's name. But like in your Bible, it may say the Acts of the Apostles. I don't think that's the best name for it. I think the best name for it would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And the same Spirit that was in them, is in every believer today, still working in us and through us. And, and, and so the, the church, the big C church, True Life Church, any local church, we ought to look like, uh, a lot like the early church in the book of Acts today, because we have the same Holy Spirit, plus we have now the entirety of the Word of God. So we don't really have excuses. Now, you know, why would the increase, why would there be this increase even from Luke to Acts? Well, I think Jesus explained it for us in John chapter 14. He said, John 14, starting in verse 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and uh, he will be in uh, you. So, so the Holy Spirit is our helper who abides with you forever. In, in another place in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, and, and I'm sure you know, when he was talking about leaving and going back to the Father, uh, the disciples were very confused. Uh, but Jesus is like, it's better for you that I go away so the Holy Spirit would come. And what he's saying is, you know, he was God with them. And, and, and that was, must have been amazing. He's like, it's even better that God is in you through the Spirit. He is your helper. He's the person and the power and the presence of God in the life of every believer. And so, in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this. And we're just really going to... Uh, just going to talk about the Holy Spirit today in this passage or the next, uh, well, we'll have one week in between, but uh, we, we'll spend a couple of weeks, Lord willing, just talking about the temptation narrative itself. But it says, Luke 4.1, remember after the baptism that Jesus being filled, notice this, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So, the Holy Spirit may lead you to some hard places. Just remember that. 
It's not the Holy Spirit's job to make our life as easy and as comfortable as possible. It's His job to make our lives as Christ-honoring, God-glorifying, and as fruitful as possible. So He was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when they had ended, he was hungry. And so this, this is the, the main idea. This is the big idea that I, that I want us to get today from Luke and then uh, some verses in Acts to go with it. Is that Jesus lived a God-pleasing life through the Holy Spirit. And if he, if the way he lived a God-pleasing life on the earth was through the Holy Spirit, we better believe that the only way that we can live a God-pleasing life is through the Holy Spirit. I mean, if that's how the Son of God lived, you think maybe we might need to live that way? So, Number one, Jesus lived a God-pleasing life through the Holy Spirit. Just foundationally here, uh, just look at what it says about Jesus. First of all, Jesus was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We've already looked at this uh, passage, but Luke 3, 21 and 22 says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, You're my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So in some way, the Holy Spirit came upon uh, Jesus. Jesus as a human being, was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Then number two, we see that Jesus was filled with the Spirit. We just read that in Luke 4.1. It says Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we'll see this a little bit more as we go along, but that means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We see here also number three in Luke 4.1 that Jesus was led by the Spirit. It's just the words of Scripture, right? Jesus was led by the Spirit into uh, the wilderness. And then we also see just at the book end, at the other end of this passage, that Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. Luke 4, 14 and 15, the end of this passage, it says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And then if you look at verses 18 and 19, notice what it says. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and, 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 and this is, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 61, it's a messianic fulfillment, could, could arguably be the key verses in the Gospel of Luke. It's why, you know, the song that Lily wrote for the series, this is the chorus of the song, basically. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So in those verses, Jesus is... Uh, saying that I am the Messiah, and this is the messianic ministry, at least in my life. Of course, his ultimate ministry is in his death for our sins. But how is he accomplishing this ministry that he was sent for? It's because the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. 
So when you put this together, and, and I'm actually going to read this uh, because I want to be precise in how I say this. When you put this together, this means that Jesus in his humanity, even though he was God, lived a perfect God-honoring life through the Holy Spirit. Gerald Hawthorne has said that Jesus is the supreme example of what is possible in a human life because of his total dependence upon the Spirit of God. So Jesus, in his humanity, even though he was God, lived a perfect God-honoring life through the Holy Spirit. Now that's the theological foundation, so I hope that's clear to everyone. Jesus himself, as a man, this is how he lived. He lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, practically, this should do two things. Maybe more than two, but there's a way I think it challenges us and a way I think it encourages us. Here's the challenge. It should challenge us to see that it is impossible to live a God-honoring life in our strength apart from the power of the Spirit. Like, if, if this is how Jesus lived his life, and I think I can pull off a God-honoring life on my own, how arrogant is that? But here's the encouragement. It should encourage us that we can be way more like Jesus and do way more to please God than we often think is possible when we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying we can do everything that Jesus did because he was the Son of God. I'm just saying I think we can come a whole lot closer by the Spirit than we maybe want to admit. We like to make excuses. But the Bible says, greater is he who's in you, who's the Holy Spirit, right, than he's in the world. That takes away our excuses. So, Jesus was indwelled by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. It's how he lived a God-pleasing life. But number two, we can also live a God-pleasing life through the Holy Spirit. Think about it. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 4, and 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And in this context, when he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what's he talking about? Not many days from now. Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost to indwell individual believers, to indwell, to birth uh, the, the, the church. So Jesus, just as the Spirit came upon him, in him as he was indwelled by the Spirit. If you're in Christ, you're indwelled with the same Spirit. The Bible says God does not give his Spirit by measure because the Spirit can't be divided up. He's a person. He's the person of God. God in you. God with you. God for you. God empowering you. We're filled with the Spirit. At least we can be. Acts 4.31. Again, the early church, when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Stephen, Acts 7.55, says, 
being, he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Acts 13.9, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we glamorize Paul uh, as this greatest Christian uh, ever, and maybe he was, but he called himself the chief of sinners. Remember, he was a part of murdering Christians, but he was transformed by meeting the risen Christ and by being filled with the Spirit. I mean, think about all the disciples. It was a clown show. Then they saw Jesus alive, and they were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and they turned the world upside down. We're led by the Spirit, or, or at least we can be. Again, Acts, and these are just a few examples. I could give you a bunch more from Acts. But Acts 8.29 says, The Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. It's when he led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. Acts 13.2, As they, the, the elders at the church at Antioch, ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And in the first intentional missionary tour, they went out uh, 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 and planted a bunch of churches that the Holy Spirit told them to do it. Acts 16, 6 and 7. Now when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, here's my question. And, and I want to ask Luke this in heaven, although ultimately he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, God had a purpose. But I'd like to ask Luke, Luke, could you been a little bit more specific here? Like, the Spirit said these things. Like, how they know what he was saying? How they know he was, you know, saying these things? Um, because, you know, because I, I think a lot of times uh, well, we got to be careful with this whole thing. I mean, because, you know, really... Some people in the, in the body of Christ get nut, goes nuts when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And just out there in all this false doctrine, there's other elements of the body of Christ that act like the Holy Spirit doesn't even exist. You know, the functional trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible and, and instead of the Holy Spirit. Satan loves both of those extremes. You know, maybe you could say, I wouldn't say this because it's probably an overused phrase, but maybe people get fall in the ditch on either side of the road when it comes to this. Um, but, like, how do you know the Holy Spirit's leading you? I think a lot of times you don't. I mean, like a lot of the best things that have ever happened at True Life, we kind of backed into. Now, there's been times like, you know, uh, but anytime you feel like it's the Holy Spirit, it's subjective. Like, I believe with all my heart um, that the, the night my younger brother died, and, you know, when we were kind of, we've been kind of wrestling with thinking about, you know, do we need to actually come back here and start a church? I believe the Holy Spirit said to me, uh, it wouldn't have been any clearer if God, you know, if I'd have heard an audible voice that if I'm telling you to do something, you can't assume that you've, because we were talking about this doing a couple of years, you've got two years. If, I, if I'm telling you to do something, you need to do it now. I believe God said that to me. I think after 21 years in the fruit, I think the Holy Spirit said that. But 20 years ago, I, I couldn't have proven that. I feel like the Holy Spirit told me to start men's leadership training. I think from the fruit, uh, that's something God told me to do. But 
you know, it, again, it's subjective, and sometimes we miss. Like, for example, in Uganda last Sunday, and one, with one of the church planners we work with, they baptized 31 people. This church is like two or three months old. They baptized 31 people in the Nile River, which is an amazing thing. But, but the backstory is this. Uh, his name's Francis Opech. He's not Francis up in Obangi in, in, in the Muslim area. But this guy, when we met him, uh, was pastor of a thriving church that had already uh, planted eight churches with no transportation. Okay, again, we in the United States make a lot of excuses. I mean, he had no transportation, and he's planted nine churches. Okay, um, we helped him get a motorcycle. But a few months ago, and, and he's had this on his heart for a long time. You know, John was telling me about it. I've not talked to him about it. He's like, he, there's a particular village that he felt like God was calling him to, to plant a church in. And, and I'm thinking, what makes sense to me, I'm thinking st strategically. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, if he's kind of the... Uh, kind of like the catalytic, uh, almost like apostolic, you know, the, the, if, he's plant, if he's trained up this many guys, planted this many churches, it makes more sense to me for him to stay in the church that he's in and send out one of the guys that he's trained up to plant a church and let him kind of oversee this network of church plants. That's what made sense to me, but, apparent, but he felt like God was telling him to go plant a church in this area, and apparently if they baptized 31 people this past Sunday, he ought to listen to the Holy Spirit and not me. Now, you may say, well, how, how, how do we know if it's the, the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm just going to hit these quickly. They're in your notes. I would encourage you to refer to them. But there's some questions you could ask. Number one, does it line up with Scripture? Because if it doesn't line up with Scripture, I promise you that it is not the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit promised uh, inspired Scripture in the first place. And here's the thing. That doesn't mean your goofy, jacked-up interpretation of Scripture making it say what you want it to say so you can do what you want to do. What does the Bible actually say? And if you feel like something is from God and, uh, it, it, and you know it doesn't line up with the Bible... It is definitely not of God, end of story. Now, if it lines up with, with the Bible, then you can ask some other questions, like, does it require faith? Because the Bible says whatever's not of faith is sin. Is it something that we would naturally know or do? Like, to me, a pretty good clue is, if I feel like God's telling me to do something, but I don't want to do it, there's a real good chance it's God, and it's not coming from me. Um, is it confirmed by other spirit-filled believers? The Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. So if everybody you trust is saying this is a bad idea, there may be an occasional exception where you're hearing from God and everybody else is missing it, but that is the exception, not the rule. Right? I mean, if it's people who are wise and godly, listen to them. Are we walking in fellowship with the Lord and our sins confessed because we want to hear from the, the Spirit of God? That needs to be in place. Are we seeking God and asking for wisdom and discernment? Do we have peace in our mind, in our conscience, that this is genuinely the will of God for us? Are we surrendered to God and actively renewing our minds? Because Romans 12, 1 and 2, that's principles for knowing the, the will of God. And, and so, you know... God wants to be led by a spirit, but we've got to be careful with that. 
I would almost never say, God told me to do something. I think that's presumptuous unless it's clearly spelled out in the pages of Scripture. I may say, I think this is what the Lord's leading me to do. I think this is the wise thing. But, you know, don't pull the God card on people when you're trying to make a decision. Oh, God told me to do it. Well, how do you know? I mean, that's not even fair. You know, be wise about it. But then I want us to also see that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 talks about the Spirit of God giving us gifts to serve God with. Listen, if you say, well, I can't share the gospel, if you say, I can't share... I can't, uh, you know, serve God. You are directly going against Scripture, and you're directly going against the work of the Spirit of God in your life, and you're missing out on something that God has for you because you are empowered to witness and you're gifted to serve. Greater is He who's in you than He who's in the world. So if you're a Christian, we need to stop making excuses and use the gifts that God has given us. Listen, you go back several years in my life, nobody would have thought I would have been on a stage preaching. I mean, when I announced in the church that I, at home church that I felt like God was calling me to preach, I think some of the little ladies were like, how's he going to preach? We never heard him talk before. I, I, I mean, one time when I was a kid, uh, I was in a Christmas program at church, and I got nervous or scared or whatever, and I literally ran off, ran, took a flying leap off the stage and ran to my mama in the crowd. That's naturally how me and stages, but the Holy Spirit gifts people, calls people. You may be like, I wish the Holy Spirit had gifted you more. Well, you can pray for that. I would appreciate it. Use all the help that I can get, but I'm just saying it's different than, than where it started and where people thought I would have been. So this is the point. Jesus, indwelled by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. You, in Christ, indwelled by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit the Spirit. But the question is, the Spirit's in us. He resides within us. He's the resident of our heart, but is He the president of our heart? Is He presiding over us? Are we filled with the Spirit? Is He leading us? Are we listening to Him? Are we just trying to figure out life on our own? Are we living in His power are we just doing our own thing? Again, we can quench the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit. So let me just close with this. Francis Chan, the well-known preacher, tells a story about one of his teenage daughters who wasn't a believer. And, you know, he's like, you know, I'm known for being a preacher and communicator. And, all this. and one of the things I realized, you know, I can't communicate her into the family of God. 
Only the Holy Spirit can do it. I can't be a good enough dad. I can't love her enough. God, you've got to do this. He's like crying out to God. And eventually she gets saved. She comes and says, you know, the Spirit is in me. And they're like, you know, they're watching to see. But he says, you know, over time they saw that the Holy Spirit changed her life. Listen, if you're in Christ, if you're truly saved, the Spirit of God is in you. And he's convicting you of your sin, and he's teaching you and guiding you and helping you. But we can quench the Spirit, and we can grieve the Spirit. We can ignore him and try to uh, you know, stifle that still, small voice. Or we can live under his control. Ephesians 5.18, we'll close with this, uh, says this. It says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. There's two commands in that verse. What's the first one? Don't get drunk, right? And I know that, you know, if we went around the room, discussed this, there's different convictions about drinking in moderation. That's not the issue here. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're going to say it's a sin to get drunk, right? I mean, that's, it's a command of Scripture. Do you understand? That's the negative command, but the positive command is to be filled with the Spirit. And if so, if it's a sin to disobey and get drunk, it's just as sinful to disobey and not be filled with the Spirit. That's the normal Christian life. To get drunk with wine is to take something from the outside of us, put it on the inside of us, and it takes control of us and hurts us. To be filled with the Spirit is someone on the outside of us comes in us and takes control of us and helps us. When it says we be filled with the Spirit, literally in the Greek it would be like you all, it's, it's plural, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Live your life under the control of the Spirit. As Jerry Bridges says, it says we're to live in obedience to and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That's when the fruit of the Spirit is produced in our lives. Is that how you're living? Is your life characterized, your relationships characterized by the fruit of the Spirit or by the works of the flesh? Listen, if we're going to be filled with the Spirit of God, it's a matter of surrender. It's a matter of confessing our sins and repenting, asking God to fill us and control us and lead us and empower us. It's depending on Him and, and, and not ourselves. And listen, the hard part is that surrender, that giving up our self-reliance. Uh, it's that turning to Him. But listen, if we do that on a regular basis, we're going to experience Him changing us from the inside out. We're going to experience that fruit of the Spirit internally, the fruit of the Spirit externally and ministering to other people. We're going to see God change us and God comfort us in the midst of difficult situations and God give us character in the midst of tempting circumstances and God give us strength when people are mistreating us and God give us the ability to relate to other people in the right way because it's not me it's the Spirit of God in me. It's greater is He who's in me and in you than He who's in the world. It's not by might or by power, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. Let's repent of trying to do it on our own and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And 